Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 113 is Rachel Finley, or as you might know her, Steak. Uh, Rachel has written a memoir about her life as a foster child, a cancer survivor, a fashion designer, a TV host, a CEO of multiple brands, including Hot Lava, uh, and that's just scratching the surface. She's a, a very, very busy person. I've been lucky enough to know, to, uh, to know Rachel for a really, really long time, and uh, I was excited to have this conversation. Um, it's really... Uh, I don't know. It's motivating seeing someone work as hard as she does. If you follow her on any social media, uh, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to throw it out there that um, if this is your first time here, I want to let you know that there is a bonus episode with Rachel available right now. We do this for just about every single episode. You head on over to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where, uh, yeah, if you subscribe, there's a bonus episode where Rachel answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. That's a common thing that happens here. So if at the end of this episode, you're like, I need a little more Rachel, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where uh, if you subscribe for as little as $3 a month, you get all this bonus content. We are doing a lot of fun stuff over there. I am currently on tour. I'm wrapping up a European tour with uh, Coheed and Cambria and Thrice. My band Touche Amore is supporting them. And uh, next week we head over to the U.S. to do an entire U.S. tour with the Menzingers and Screaming Females. Head on over to touchemore.com slash tour to see those dates. And uh, that's about it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Rachel Finley. What's up, Rachel? How are you? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I'm doing good. It's nice and early, so I'm awake. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for for listeners, we're uh, we're recording this at 8:30 in the morning, but later today it's going to be about uh, 109 here in Los Angeles. So at least we're getting the uh, at least a, a decent enough morning weather. I feel like it's only about 95 outside right now at like 8:30 in the morning. Yeah, when I went out this morning, I was like, oh, it felt nice because I had my AC cranking. But then when I went and I was like, oh, it's nice and warm. And I was like, oh, that's actually going to be terrible in a few hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
How long have you actually been in? You've been in LA for a long time now, right? Like, yeah, this is my 16th year, actually, which is, yeah, it's like kind of scary. I was like, wow. Um, Yeah, I moved out here to uh, work at Hydrahead when I was 20. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I I remember it's funny because, you know, I play in a band with Nick Steinhardt, and I think Nick Steinhardt was doing work. uh, I think he was Mm -hmm. doing maybe some graphic stuff with Hydrahead at the time. And I think that. That was the first time that I realized you had moved out here because you and I have met met probably at this point before you moved to L.A. even. Yeah. Yeah. It was is, before then. Which is very wild to think about, like I how know. much time it's, has passed. Well, it's scary because I think we're getting to the age where we can say 20 years ago this happened and we all are still kind of like, OK, yeah, we were probably at the bar 20 years ago or, you know, maybe not the bar, but like, you know what I mean? Like we were doing something like out in the world. Totally. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's wild to think about. Um, well, you know, it's funny. You have so many different facets in your life uh, mm-hmm. that when I was preparing for the interview, I was like, I don't even know how to start or where to tackle some of these things because you obviously okay. you have your foot in a lot of different uh, in a lot of different places. So um, I know a lot of it probably starts originally with maybe like influence from music and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually a question I'll ask musicians is when was the first time they felt like they were connecting to something musically that maybe felt like it was theirs? Um, you know, maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that. Uh, made you feel maybe like you had a bit of your own identity. Uh, do you remember what that was? I do, actually. Um, so when I grew up, I was like listening to – I the first CD I ever got was in fourth grade, and it was Blink-182's Dude Ranch, um, and it was handed down for me from a cousin. And I was probably too young to be listening to it, and like, you know, it was like a lot of like sex and stuff, but I was like, you know, wow, this is fucking great. <laughs> And right. then right after that, I kind of like moved into like no effects. And so a lot of like my like processing for like my preteen and early teen years came through the emotions tied to punk, which was like, you know, a lot of heartbreak and a lot of stuff like that, which is cool if when you're like a budding teenager and pretty much all you experience is heartbreak. <laughs> At that point, because you fall in love every other day and like with your friends, without your friend, you know, it's like the whole cycle of it. But I actually remember the first time when I was like, oh, this is the real me. And it was, it was at, I had just started going to the skate park and I was about 12 or 13. And it was late at night. And at that time, we were allowed to change the music over from like what you know, like the city employees that worked at the skate park, like we had to play like classic rock and things were like palatable to parents that were dropping off their kids. But there was like a good last 30 minutes, like when the stadium lights clicked on and the sun was setting that we could kind of play whatever we want. And these older kids put on Master P and I, the, the whole skate park like erupted singing, uh, Hootie Hoo by Master P. Um, (laughs) And I was like, holy shit, like this energy is electric. And I think at that moment, I was just, I mean, like, yeah, I still like have a vast knowledge of like other genres, but I was like fully into rap music at that moment. I was like, this has got me. And like it, I, it was just like a lot of rap is about, you know, 
my friends are the fucking best <laughs> and sure. like we're, we're going to work as hard as we can to make money. And it's a lot of like from the bottom up stories. And I think like also growing up the way that I did, I needed to hear that kind of stuff. And like, it was all very like, you know, and again, like with that real teenage attitude, that's like, don't fuck with me kind of thing. And so at that time for, for me to like experience the way that came, like, I just, I wish I could explain to you the setting. Like, it's like, the sun is setting in the background and there's like bright stadium lights and it's just all these like wild, like to me, older boys, like just like screaming. And I was just like, wow, this is fucking cool. And I don't know. It just, it, it got me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can only imagine also it's like you, you sort of see that there's something happening that everybody is on the same page of. And it's totally. a lot of the kids that you think are cool. So exactly. it, you instantly get that want to be like, I want to know what this is. And I need to know everything about what this is. Did you have a friend that was like able to sort of shepherd you through like where to go? Um, yeah, I mean, I think at that time, you know, like, <clears throat> it was a lot of like internet, like we were all on the internet way too much then. So I, as soon as I, I figured out, well, I didn't even know what who Master P was at that time. You know, I'm like, literally 12 or 13. And right. so I went home and like, I Googled the lyrics that I thought I heard. And, you know, it was <laughs> like, did you, did you mean this? You know? And so yeah. I was searching and searching and, and luckily, you know, that was like the time of people, like there were like rap blogs and rap writers and just as there were punk writers and punk blogs, you know, and it was like kind of like the same aspect. And, and that, that's another thing that I really do miss is like finding music that way. Mm -hmm. Which like, I do love how, you know, Spotify like Taylor fits things to your algorithm and it's very easy, but like, I miss like digging around and being like, wait, did I hear that lyric? Right. Or like, and then also finding like who was friends with who and like, okay, maybe I'll listen to their tape and like, maybe I'll listen to this. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it was definitely like a project, but no, I, I mean, you asked me if I had a friend that could kind of show me the way. No, I didn't have a friend. I was scared to talk to everybody at the park. They were all older <laughs> and crazier. So, but I mean, I sat quietly and tried to like steal little tidbits of things they were talking about and then go home and search it. Sure. Um, yeah. I yeah. feel like the, how, if there's one thing I wish I could have taken from the future and brought back, like of all the things there was, there is now that we didn't have then it'd probably just be the Shazam app. To oh my be God. Able to just, <laughs> Play that and know what it is. Saved us so much time and energy. <laughs> seriously, seriously. There are uh, still some songs that I have in my in my Apple Notes that I've like just had forever. Where I'm like, I still haven't figured out what the lyric is, and every time I Google it, nothing comes up. So uh, I've like misheard this lyric somewhere out in the world, and I'm like, I will find this song, and I still it's still lost in the ether. <laughs> right, totally, and. Uh, you were in South Florida, right? And that, mm -hmm. so was, was there like a really cool South, uh, skate park, like that kind of all the community kids would go and hang out at, or was it one yeah. that you had to like on the outskirts or something? Um, actually our skate park was, so the, I'm, well now it's a bigger town, but when I was growing up, it was a small town. Um, and it's right, it's on the Everglades. So it's like the Everglades meshes into our city. Um, and so it's very swampy and humid, but yeah, our, our whole town was built around this mall. Very classic, like, <laughs> like sure. you know, like city infrastructure. So we got this like big 
shiny new mall and right next to it was my high school and next to that was the skate park. So it was like really easy to get anything you wanted as a teenager because <laughs> you were all, it was all just right there. Um, totally. So our skate park was like a community skate park. It was really nice. And then attached to that was a community center. And then the punk kids in town would throw shows in the community center. So it was like easy for me to have, you know, like exposure to things I think I never would have found if I wasn't at the skate park. You know what I mean? Because you're kind of like, oh, I'm done skating. I'm going to go sit in the air conditioning. And then like now you're like watching kids mosh, you know, and like that's pretty crazy. Like especially from a small beach town, you know. Yeah. Was there any uh, bands that you saw that uh, made any sort of impact when you were young? I mean, South Florida has a lot of like good, loud music. So it's kind of like hard for me. I mean, like big, a big Poison the Well played there at our okay. like little, I mean, that was like probably like normal for them. Cause it's just like, you know, they're like a Florida a, band and yeah, like- they're from like an hour and a half away. But then there was also this band at the time called uh glass eater that used to play the art. They're, like you know they're like a pop punk yeah. band. Screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember being like really blown away by that. I was like, "Wow, that's fucking crazy!" But yeah, oh, I mean, had, I think what was that one? They had a record called like Seven Years Bad Luck" or yeah. something like that, <laughs> with like a yellow cover. That's the only th- I see. This is. I mean, there's I like that area of Florida like cranks out loud good music. Um, I wish I'm like it's. I'm gonna think of all the bands as soon as we like stop recording. Well, I mean, Glass Eaters like, oh, is, oh, is oh. a. It, yeah, the glass eaters a specific shout, so I think yeah. we accomplished that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I was what I wanted to. You know, another first uh, experience question would be like, um, were you taking in fashion at that point? Like, were you noticing what people were wearing, and yes. was that like an interest to you? Yeah, I think right away, personal style. Well, you grew up in a subculture, so it's like when you're young and like you're coming up, like you want to dress the part to kind of prove that you are a part of this group. And I joke about this all the time because it's like when you're younger, it's like very much so like dressing like that. And then when you're older, you just are that. So you kind of just dress a different way. <laughs> like, sure. and, and it's, it's just, fu- it's just funny how it, how it kind of like all plays out because like, you know, you're desperate to like, you know, wear the patch, wear the pin, like have the right jeans because, you know, it's got the right like skate logo on it or, you know, whatever. Um, And yeah, for sure. I was, I think, you know, in any time you're like trying to like be a part of a community, whether it's like, you know, the kids that were going to the shows or the kids that were skating in the park or both, you know, the, the mashup of both of us, it was like, yeah, for sure. I was taking in style and like, also, like, scene girls were so, like, pretty, and I hadn't really seen, like, makeup before, like that, you know? I grew up, sure. like, very isolated and, like, super, like, around boys, and so, like, to see girls that were, like, doing, like, wild eyeliner and stuff, too. I mean, I didn't try, but I was definitely going, like, damn, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Um, This is a fun question I like to ask people that are that are kind of involved in the, in the fashion world, which was... Uh, do you remember the first item of clothing that you got for yourself that like made you feel cool or made you feel, you know, good about yourself kind of a thing? Yeah, I have like two. So like one is I got this, I saved up like 60 bucks and I bought this hoodie that said chocolate on it. Um, if it's like Sk- uh, skate brand, right? It's skate. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to like take my story out of the skate park, but it really was so like, like influential to me. But yeah, so I got this chocolate hoodie 
It was like Heather Gray and it just had chocolate on the front of it. And chocolate is such like a sexy and like provocative word as well. So like, I remember just like feeling very cool wearing it. Yeah. Um, and then again, like when I moved out here, when I was in my twenties, I had gotten gifted this, I was like, you know, in LA, it's so funny, like the way people are, but like someone had handed me down on a photo shoot, um, just these, uh, they were like, oh, I'm throwing these away. And it was like these tattered yellow Chanel shoes. And I was like, they're not my style at all, but I like coveted them. I had never had access to like luxury goods before. And I don't even think they were my size. (laughs) And I remember (laughs) trying to wear them at a pool and they were just like flip-flopping off of the back of my heels. And I was just like, this is my moment. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like my big my big debut of my my designer. So I think I, I yeah, I definitely experienced that twice when I was like it was like once when I was younger and then I, I will never forget those tattered Chanel shoes because they were ugly as well. They were like not my style, but I'm like, this is designer and like now I have made it. <laughs> was that I'm I mean, I'm sure that has to be a jarring thing too, where you realize like you see how like almost like frivolous people, especially here, can specifically here can be about just like tossing stuff or uh, maybe not even donating it, you know, afterwards. It's really, it's really shocking actually. And it's now I try to like, you know, kind of pay it forward. Like when I need to like get rid of stuff, like I always like try to like hit up, you know, my interns or like my, you know, like people who like I've worked with before and make sure it gets passed to someone who hopefully have the same feeling that I had when I put on those Chanel shoes, you know? And I'm just like, I want somebody to like have those moments, but yeah, LA is crazy because I mean, any sort of this also speaks to internet culture, but like any sort of big city where there's like massive gifting and like PR packages, like if you go to our Goodwill, there's like nice stuff there that people have never worn. And it's like, it is like, it might not be designer designer, but it is like higher end stuff. But people, yeah, they just filter it out because like, I mean, there's a problem with gifting, to be honest, like it just creates so much waste. No, you're totally right. Yes. I mean, there's been times where um maybe the management company that we're with or something like that will send a christmas package and you know you could you know they're sending it to every single person and i'll open it up and, and i'll open it up and just be like like none of this is for me and i just feel bad that i have this you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah same like, i mean I, I wish i could show you i just well i could show you but the viewers or the listeners are, this is like my dining room table i just cleaned it off and this is as clean as i can get it with gifting but it was like it was like piled almost up to the light with just gifting packages and it's not stuff I've like asked for but I do you know like I'm really appreciative that people like think of me and I you know you know who really loves this stuff is like my dad (laughs) like I'll like I'm like dad you want some skincare (laughs) oh that's awesome that's awesome like you know I just try to give it to people who like would appreciate it and and like I and I appreciate it as well. It's like nice to be considered, of course. Like I'm not on here complaining about getting free shit by any means, but it, it can cause like you know if it's unprompted and 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 you know you're just getting packages, you're just like damn, like yeah, you feel like inundated with shit. Yeah, no, completely. Um, and we, so I know you said you were like hanging out at the skate park. Did you start skating early on, or mm-hmm. were, is it just like a place to sort of be around other kids? I think it was both, but yeah, definitely like started skating. Yeah, that was like the the thing to do. And then, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, I'm sick of like falling down. <laughs> like this hurts. This hurts yeah. my body. 
And like, I was never like real serious about it. I mean, I had a skateboard as like a means of transportation as well, you know? And like, I mean, I was serious about it in the way that I did it every single day, but like, I wasn't like, I'm going to be a pro skate, you know, like I wasn't trying to like push myself to like any sort of limits. We just kind of like, you know, skated around on the mini ramp and like, I don't know. But yeah, it was like a lot of times just like a way to hang out, access to other kids. I, again, like I grew up like so isolated that finding the skate park was like very relieving. Um, did you end up moving any other places before you ended up in LA? Yeah, I lived, um, well, I lived in Tampa and I lived in upstate New York and I lived in, well, sorry, it's not upstate New York. I've just recently been, uh, (laughs) educated on this. It's Western New York. Upstate is like up of the city, but this is West. I lived in Rochester, which is like. Uh, see, you know. I would have said upstate too. For me, I'm like anything that's not Brooklyn or New York City. I'm like, Same. oh, it's upstate. Yeah. Same. But now that I date a man from Buffalo, I'm very clear that that okay. is Western New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's Western New York. So yeah, I lived in Western New York. And then um, I spent some time. I don't know, like, like, what do you call live? I spent like five months or four months in St. Louis and then a couple months in Ohio. But you know, what was, just what was the cause for all the moving? What was the tour? How I met oh. you. Yeah. So when I was like 17, I think I had moved up to Rochester, um, mostly just because I was like in Florida and I was like, damn, if I don't like do, I graduated high school a year early. So I was like, damn, mm-hmm. if I don't do something, like I'm probably going to just die in this beach town. And I kind of like was really like, I didn't know what was in the world, but I wanted to go see it. And, um, I had some like internet friends, which I would never let my kids do at this point, but I'm like, I'm going to move all the way across the country and live with these internet friends, um, which I did in Rochester. And then um, from there, I was like at a show. I don't even know what the band was. Well, I do now because I went on tour with them, but, um, but there were, I don't know why we were there. It was like one of my roommates was dating someone and they were like in the opening act or something. And like, I very much so like, like loud music has always been around me, but I wasn't like an active participant in it, you know? So like, you know, but like, like subcultures, they, they really like mesh together. So it's like, of course, you know, it, like I was at the show, of course. Um, but yeah, I was there and uh, like it, someone just told me that if this was a movie, it'd be terrible writing, but it's, this is actually how it happened. Okay. But I like straight up watched the band fire their merch person and then at the show and then have like a full meltdown about how they were about to start this 30 day tour and they had no merch person. And then I was just was like, I'll do it. And like, didn't even know them just like yelled up from the, I was sitting on a curb drinking whiskey with my girlfriend. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'll go. And they were like, yeah, fucking right. And I was like, no, I'll go. I don't have anything else going on. <laughs> it was also yeah. really cold in New York at the time. And I was like, I fucking hate it here. It's so cold and miserable. And they were like, well, if you really want to go, you have to meet us in Binghamton tomorrow, which was like a couple hours away. And I was like, all right. And I did because I really had no things going on. And then I ended up going on tour with them. Um, it was that band Psyopus. I think that's where I met you, right? Oh, my God. Is that what it was? I think so. I think we might have played a show. I don't know. It might not have been that tour because basically because I was so flexible in my schedule, i.e. I did not have an apartment and I was like really just couch surfing. They were like, they hooked me up with this person at Metal Blade 
And then Metal Blade was like, oh, yeah, if you're down to tour for like this rate, which was yeah. very cheap, like we'll throw you every tour you can have. And I was like sick because I didn't have a job. So I'm like, this is great. And I didn't have an apartment. So I could just live in the vans. And so I basically was kind of like couch surfing, but selling merch for two and a half years, for two and a half years for like any show or any tour that Metal Blade kind of pushed to me. Sure. Oh my God. That's so, I was trying to think of what, what that first official meeting was. And that would make sense. Cause I think. Uh, my old band definitely played a random off show with them or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what that yeah, was. Yeah, I don't wow. remember what it was, but it was definitely not the band you were in now. No, for sure. Yeah, no, that would, <laughs> that would have been that would have been much much later. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and then when you ended up in uh, landing in LA and then doing the the Hydrahead thing, um, was that just through again meeting people that you met through touring? Yeah, I was like on tour with Malevolent Creation. <laughs> and I mean, dude, like seriously, it's weird because like again, like I'm really appreciative of like what heavy music has brought to my life, but like I wasn't like when I got the Malevolent Malevolent Creation tour, I didn't realize who Malevolent Creation was outside from everyone's like they're from Florida, you're going to love it. And like I did really love like the lifestyle of metal and like kind of like where I was at personally and you know as a fucking like idiot 20 year old you know where I'm just like I wanted to be like out in the world and like you know doing shit that was like pretty fucking crazy but like I didn't have like the reference point of like the catalog of who I was touring with and like what you know they really meant to the world and to like certain scenes and genres but like yeah so I was basically I was on tour with Malevolent Creation and I was like in a really like it, I was playing the biggest show, or I wasn't playing. I was at the yeah. biggest shows. See, it's really about me. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at like the biggest shows that I had ever been to, you know, and it's like we we're in a fucking bus and like that's like a big deal, right? You're finally in the bus and you feel great. And um, I was like, damn, like if this is the peak of what I thought I was working towards, like I'm vastly unfulfilled. And I think it was just because – the way that I was living was so transient that I didn't really have like long lasting relationships, friendships or anything with anyone because I was moving, you know, like I was in St. Louis for four months and like I met a bunch of people there who were all really great, but I never saw them again after I left because that just like wasn't the nature of it, you know? And it like I have those memories and they were really, they're really awesome when I look back on them, but I don't know where those people are. And I think like, when you don't, when you're touring all the time and you don't have a responsibility somewhere or any sort of like anchor point, you can get really lost. And I think that I was just really flippant about the way that I was treating the world and like inner, like I was like, like vandalism. I was fine with, you know, like, like stupid shit. Like I was like, you know, it, it like, I grew up watching like CKY and Jackass. Like I was like a little, like an asshole kid. So it's like, I definitely had a very, like a a flippancy to the way I was treating myself, people, you know, anything around me, property. And there, one of the guys from Hydrahead and um, one of my foster sisters, she was living out here because I grew up in foster care. And, um, one of my foster sisters was living out here in LA and she was like friends with the guys at Hydrahead and they came to the the show and they were like, wow, this is fucking crazy. Like, 
this is, you know, how do you feel? And I was like, to be honest, I just want to like, I want to be somewhere. Like, I just want to be somewhere like permanently. And then he was like, dude, you should just be like an intern at Hydrahead. They're like, we have like a spot, you know, it's a paid internship. And I was like, really? And so, yeah. And I just sort of like, after that tour, maybe one more tour, I just made it happen. I just like kept thinking about it. I'm like, damn, like it would be so nice to just sit somewhere for a while because I hadn't in two and a half years, you know? And had, and I'm assuming you probably swung through LA a ton of times on a lot of those tours. So did it seem yeah. like a place you wanted to be? Well, I got offered an internship at Roadrunner in New York and then at Hydrahead. And the Roadrunner one was very like nice and shiny and paid more. But it also came with New York, which I had just fled two years prior because it was too cold. <laughs> right. Sorry. Swamp Child was way too cold in New York. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, but I was like, damn, like, I'm just going to take this Hydrahead job because it's warm. And also, it was like, when I toured the Roadrunner offices, it just seemed, I don't, like, I barely graduated high school. And, like, Roadrunner, like, yeah, they had their little tattoos, like, peeking out from under their, like, suit jackets. But, like, you know what I mean? I was like, this is, like, felt more corporate than Hydrahead, where it was just like, oh, these are just, like, four dudes in t-shirts like it just felt like yeah. basically you know everything I was like comfortable with yeah it was a bunch of bunch of long hairs with everyone having beards down to their bellies yeah. just yes. uh... <laughs> there's a there's a picture that was on the Facebook it was like the only picture of the staff for a while and it was like me I'm like I'm very small and like lanky and I'm like off on the corner and then it's just like five bearded men and I'm just like hello <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like awesome. to look back on it because it's it's just funny. It was such like yeah. a good timestamp, and it brought me to LA, which was like you know that's great. This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Now, when it comes to your timeline of things, again, I'm, I, I was trying to put it all together. So was after you left Hydrahead, um, were you already starting to do like the bad advice Tumblr stuff around that time? Or because then there's also there's also an MTV show thing yeah. that happened i know like there actually is too much to talk about <laughs> exactly the uh yeah so essentially i was at hydrahead and um i actually got cancer while i was there and they were like yo you're too sick to be at work like you should go home do your chemo because i was trying to do everything you know um and they're like you should go home do chemo relax and like your job will always be here so just like come back when you're ready and at that time I was like I had moved on to running their social media which at that point was just like can you post on Facebook can you write our blog spot things like right. that um it wasn't as immersive as a career as it is now where you have to know like algorithms and shit this was just like posting um and so, yeah, I went and I started doing my chemo, but I really needed, I was paying for it all out of pocket. And Mark from uh, Hydrahead, you probably know him. Yep. Um, he was like, 
how are you going to pay for chemo like with no job? And I was like, that's why I've been showing up to work because I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so he was like, it was actually really just like a strange turn of events that made this possible. But because I was using or I was on chemo and radiation, I lost a bunch of weight, which made me sample size. And that was actually how I started in fashion. And because Mark was like, hey, I'm dating this girl and she works at Juicy Couture, like the track sweat, the <laughs> velour right, sweat yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah. And sure. he, like, he's like, I think you might be the right size to be essentially what is like a living mannequin where they can pin clothes on you and you can tell them if it like fits or not. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, but he's like, but here's the catch. It pays $250 an hour. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, and it's, so I basically, and it like each job, I'd only have to work for two hours. So if I was sick from chemo, it's like, I just go in for two hours and make 500 bucks. And it's like, I could do that once or twice a week and still make my rent and have money left over to pay for my bills, which is really, you know, crucial. And it was around that time that I started writing the blog because you know, like, have you ever broken an arm or something? And then every place you go, everyone was like, why? Like, what happened to your arm? And you have to like, tell the story over and over again. I haven't broken a bone, but I know what you're, I can, I know what you're talking about. It's like, even like the barista is like, oh, what's the story of this? And you kind of just get so run down from telling the story and you just want to like, talk about anything else, you know? And I think, I was just in a point where I was totally alone when I was going through my chemo. So I was, I just didn't want to like, anytime people did check in, that was the last thing I wanted to talk about. But obviously they want to know what's up. So I basically just started posting it all. I'm like, if you want to know what's going on, it's all right here. But then I was also in that space writing about going to different fashion houses and trying on like insane clothes. And like, this was my job now. And I didn't realize at the time because I didn't have one of those little like converters and there was no like analytics on the back end. I didn't realize at the time how many people were reading the blog. Um, and then, yeah, when I moved it to Tumblr, the anal- cause it was on WordPress, but the analytics transferred into Tumblr metrics and it was like, Oh, I have 250,000 readers on this. Fucking oh my blog, God. Which yeah. is like insane. And you know, like, also, my WordPress like didn't allow comments or likes. Like it was just like a place to post, and like I didn't realize like what I had created until I moved it to Tumblr, and then all of a sudden it's like yeah, likes, comments, submissions. People started asking me questions, and then that's kind of what led into the bad advice. Wow. Um, out of curiosity, when you were doing the mannequin, basically like the the living mannequin yeah. stuff, like, uh, were you disclosing? Um what you were going through or was that something you were trying to keep on the low? I was like, I was not talking about it to anyone mostly because I didn't want to seem unreliable. Sure. Um, And like, so when you grow up and like, you don't have a safety net, it's like you, every day is like, you're like, okay, I have to make the most, like I have to be like the most functional Or I'm not going to be able to sleep somewhere or eat or whatever. But then it's like, oh, like I have to pay my chemo bill. Like, oh, no, nobody is going to know this. Like nobody is going to know. And it was it was cool, too, because like when Mark had set me up with his the girl he was seeing at the time that was working at Juicy, she was like she was down to like keep it real quiet, too. And then she ended up getting me all these other jobs. And then finally, I was just so 
like I was so like ingrained in this, it's called a fit model in this like fit model community for these like high fashion brands that like, no, people didn't even ask. They didn't even know where I came from. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, okay, she's here. Like my whole job was to be quiet also. So like you only speak up, like you really have to like keep your breathing shallow and you stand still for like an hour or two and they just drape fabric over your body. And then the only time you're supposed to be talking is like when you tell them what fits or doesn't. Sure, sure. So, I mean, that kind of like saved me. Probably, you know, I'm a blabbermouth, so I probably would have <laughs> spilled it out if I was allowed to talk. You know. Yeah. Um. And something I was thinking about when you were talking about not realizing how many people were reading your blogs and stuff like that. Um. Do you think now, in retrospect, um, had you have known how many people were reading it and maybe seen likes and shares and things like that? Do you think um, you would have written any differently? I do, actually. Thank you for asking that. I've never been asked that question. Um, but I had, a, I had a realization recently. I had gone somewhere and, um, you know, in LA, nobody comes up to me. But like in other places, people will come up. Um, and I, you know, it had been a while. It had been COVID. So like no one was traveling. But I had recently gone somewhere. So I was like, oh, steak, like what's up? Um, and I was like, damn, I forgot like every day on the internet, like I'm on there posting just like as, as we all are like, oh, like this, this sucked, this ruled this, you know, whatever. Like you just like you're posting and it kind of just seems like you're screaming into like a cave, you know, like it's like a void that you're just screaming into because yeah, you get your likes and stuff and like your feedback from your friends. And like, yeah, I do get comments and stuff like that. And I read it and they feel sincere, but it still feels so digital that when it when you realize like when when now when I see people in real life that I have like connect that they have connected with me that I have not met I'm like oh I need to be more responsible with my content because like people are looking at me and are listening but back then I was not being responsible with my content at all um and that doesn't mean I was writing the wrong things I would love to have archived it but like I mean, I could probably go through there and cringe at like, as we all would at as we all would, writing, totally. you know, and it's like, damn, like, I probably shouldn't have like come off so like pompous or whatever, you know. Um, but no, that was like, pure, like, just stream of consciousness going on to those pages. And yeah, I think if I had known who was or not who was looking, but just the vast majority of like, how many people were looking. Yeah, I probably definitely would have been more tailor fit to what I thought I should have been. But I think it's a blessing in so many ways that I didn't, I didn't know because yeah, now I'm like, I I truly connected with people based on real life experience that wasn't influencered or shiny and new and like, you know? Yeah. My question was, was, was almost more so leaning into like, yeah, uh, not so much like, oh, were you saying things that were maybe like, you know, too, too honest about certain things or, or whatever, but more so like, um, because we are so used to, um, doing things to fight the algorithm and to, and you know, whatever it's like, um, in a way it might've even, it probably was for the best because it was that unfilteredness and you were able to get out everything you needed to do in that, in those at that time, you know? I mean, I was, I was really treating it like a journal. Like I was like, okay, my best friend reads this, like, 
probably like a few kids from home and like sure. my stepmom. I was like, this is who's reading this blog. So like imagine like calling them and like updating them on your chemo. Like that was what was going in there. Yeah. And like it was also like a lot of like, oh, I was like running up the stairs uh, to my fashion appointment and I puked in the in the lobby and they didn't see it. It was like things like that, you know, and it yeah. was like, haha, like just like little things, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably, yeah, if I had known someone that wasn't, you know, someone who would sit at my dining room table was reading it for sure, I would have like written differently. And and I do feel like it's a blessing that I didn't. And to be honest, I mean, I'm sure you realize this and I'm sure over the years you had people tell you this, but, um, you know, for other young people that were diagnosed with cancer, I'm sure if they found your blog, they were so appreciative of it because they made, the, you know, them not feel alone in these situations. I think very much so. And like, I've met you know, luck, like, thank God I've met so many people who had not my cancer, but had like, you know, who were going through a similar stage of cancer. And, you know, like, we've all made it and like, they're like, Oh, you know, like, I followed you for the last 12 years. And like, this part, and they'll remember things about my journey that I've forgotten. But like them remembering it makes me feel so full, you know, because I'm like, Oh, totally. damn, like, like, I, and like, I wish, I guess in some ways you were saying, like, if I had known people were reading it, it might've been nice in some ways to know because I did feel pretty alone, but I'm also kind of like a loner. So like, it, it like, it might've made me feel uncomfortable. It's hard to look back and say, but like in my head, in theory, it would have been great to have community at that time, but like, maybe I wouldn't have been ready for it. Um, do you mind if I ask what it was like finding out that you were in remission and, and like what that day was like? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't mind. Um, it was like, <laughs> okay. so I, I went into remission twice, but the one time when it, when it finally stuck and you know, that's where I am today. Um, my nurse wrote me this letter that was like, congratulations. Like you fucking did this essentially. Um, but she was like this sweet lady and, uh, I remember all over the paper, she put um, what looked like PowerPoint presentation fonts and it just wrote <laughs> remission and all these like different fonts. <laughs> and I took the paper. I, I had got, I was getting treatment, some at Cedars and some um, in uh, Burbank. There's a cancer center in there. Um, and I was at the, I was at the Burbank center when she gave it to me and she was like, you did it. And I remember just like sitting in the chair and just being like, damn, like, what what now because <laughs> I had been so I had the first time I had cancer you know it was like a two-year battle and then the second time I, I it came back and I had like another two two and a half year battle um so like for a large majority of my 20s I was pretty sick and I like sort of was like okay well it's like my job now to be like a sick person you know so like afterwards I was like oh shit like wait, now I have to figure out the rest of my life, you know, which yeah. was like very crazy. And like, obviously a fucking blessing to be, you know, have a future in front of me. But I was at, at that time, like, oh, yeah, like very now what? And the, the little, I remember I walked out of there. And for some reason, I was like, I'm gonna buy a goldfish. <laughs> I don't know why. But I was like, my big thing is like, I'm gonna get like something I can really love. And I walked out of out of the cancer center and I drove to like this little hole in the wall pet store. I have no idea why I did this. It really feels like I was like on autopilot. Was and this in Burbank? Was, like, 
It was in Burbank. And I was like, what? I'm going to guess it was Pet Mania on Pass, which is probably. I I will say that there's an 800% chance it was Pet Mania on Pass. Which, by the way, which, by the way, I recently just rewatched Nathan for You. And there's an episode where he helps out Pet Mania on Pass. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Because, you know, the Cancer Center is right by Pass. It's like it's like maybe four blocks away. Yeah, oh, I'm from Burbank, you know. so I'm I'm putting this all together. Sorry, listeners at home, but I think the listeners at home could enjoy the Nathan for you aspect. Yeah, so, well, that's amazing. Yeah. Now I want to go see that. Yeah. I will say that there's an 800 percent chance because, like, I really just came right out of the cancer center and was like, I'm going to this pet store, and I was walking around in there, and I found, um, you know, they were like, okay, goldfish care is actually a lot. Like, people try to keep them in bowls, and if they do that, they'll die. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not. I'm not going to get a fish to kill it. Like I just got my life back. Like I'm not going to doom a fish. But then I saw the little beta fish that do live in like the smaller things. And I had my remission paper in my hand. And then I had this little cup of a beta fish and I went up (laughs) to the cash register and they're like, how's your day? And I just, I opened the little remission paper with all the little fonts all over it. And I was like, I'm in remission. (laughs) It's the first person I told was this that store person who was like completely <laughs> unequipped to support that <laughs> transaction and they were just like oh great <laughs> they're like so do you need any fish accessories <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're like i'm gonna upsell the hell out of this lady right they're now like she's having a good day she's gonna buy some fucking toys for this fish tank <laughs> yeah oh my god um how how long was the uh i'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through it again how long how long did you have between the two situations um i think it was about uh almost a year i think between okay. the first one and the second one um yeah. and i had so uh i had uterine cancer um and then after that there's like a lymph node um here's some bi- or biology for the people out in the world um there's a lymph node that's like next to your uterus if you're a uterus having person um and I remember it was funny because the first time I went into remission they were like thank god it did not spread into the lymph nodes like because that would be trouble and I was like thank god (laughs) and then a year later they're like it's in the lymph nodes I was like great (laughs) fantastic yeah, I'm like, great, this is fucking the worst case. Like, they were like, that would be the worst thing that would happen. And then a year later, they're like, it happened. What were you doing? So, at the, what were you doing at the time? Um, when it came back? Were you? Uh, had you found a new job? Or were you interested in new things? Or I was working fully in fit and construction. So I kind of like weaseled my way into this fake career, where it was like, essentially the the model that I was talking about, like the fit model, but now I could talk. That was like the perk. <laughs> and because I could talk, because I had so much experience, I could charge even more per hour. So I was making a lot of money and I had about eight clients. And so I was like, you know, I was working like eight hour days, um, making a shit ton of money, sure. um, driving, driving all over LA, um, consulting on the fits and like armhole shapes of like luxury dresses. I was working all in high fashion, which there's not a lot of out here in Los Angeles. That's mostly like a, you know, European or New York thing. Um, but there are some fashion houses here and I was at all of them and it, it was, um, and so, yeah, I I was doing that. And then, um, I had gotten married. Um, and, 
I was, uh, but yeah, so then essentially a kind of similar situation as to like with the Hydra head thing is like when I, when I found out I was sick again, it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to work through this, but like I, I work as a coping mechanism in general. I like work. It keeps my brain busy, so I don't self-sabotage. So like when I had started chemo again, um, my now ex-husband was like, I need t-shirts for my character for my TV show. Um, wardrobe needs three of them. But in LA at the time, um, you know, now now the the industry has switched to where you can print 10 t-shirts. But at this time, like all the screen printers in LA had this rule that you couldn't print under 74. I don't know if you remember this. It was like the oh, 74 I do. rule. Yep. And I, so we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do with the other 71 shirts? And we're like, oh, well, let's just sell them on my blog because I had all those readers, you know, and I mean, we didn't know what we were doing at that time, but that we created a brand overnight. So, and then that's, that is the space I have been in, like, as far as my job goes ever since. Right. And would that have been the start of the brand Teenage? Yeah, that was the start of Teenage. It started in, well, we, I started working on it in 2012, but it launched in 2013 and like Teenage was supposed to be like the teen age of, you know, 13, like, uh, it was like the, of the millennium. So Um, yeah, so we started teenage and I think that it was the, because I was sick and doing it, it's like, I had so much time to tinker around and really learn. Like I was doing all the graphics. I was also doing all the, you know, well, we, him and I were packing the orders, like he'd be on set all day and then come home and we would just like dump, you know, 400 orders on our living room floor and, and pack them. And, and then Uh, like I would be in chemo during the day or radiation or whatever. And then we were doing that. And then I also got to learn, I think mostly what it was like. I mean, the education that I got through running this brand is invaluable. I use it every single day. Um, But really just understanding a rabid fan base, which is what his show had. And understanding how to market directly to them and like what I needed us to do in order to be marketable to a fan base. Like it was like, so it's like so business and numbers and analytics and like manipulation of, you know, all that stuff that it like that I I like, I love where I'm at. You know what I mean? Like I, like the fact that I got to do that and like kind of like metal in something that you usually have to go to college for and like have to have a high, you know, a lot of like work experience. The fact that I got to do that kind of by myself and like trial and error, it was, you know, like I said, it was invaluable. Yeah. And no, you know, no disrespect to people that do go to college and do study those things and learn, you know, the by the book way. But when you're just kind of thrown into the fire and not real, Mm -hmm. even realizing that that's what you're trying to do, as you said, I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to learn how to fuck up and you're going to learn how to do things correctly. Yeah. And I think that it was like, yeah, right. No disrespect for the people that went to college. Like that's also awesome. I just didn't have that opportunity, you know, and especially like going like, Oh fuck, what am I going to do after I'm sick? It's like, okay, well now I have something that I can do, you know? And so I just kind of like stayed in that lane and we grew the brand and it went into zoomies and that's the, that's where it lives now. And it, it does super fucking well and it still does super fucking well. And, um, we're divorced, you know, but we're great business partners. <laughs> um, that's great. So, 
yeah, no, no, we're, we're great. So, um, yeah, I still have that brand. And then, um, from there I started once I like knew what I was doing as far as like building brands, I was like, Oh, I can build a brand for my base now. And that's why I built hot lava, which is my women's brand. Like for those readers that were coming from my blog, because when I took a step back, I was like, Oh, these girls, I mean, there's male readers and like people who were submitting too. But like when I was focusing on the women, it was like, these people have been telling me where they're going, what they're doing, who they want to date, who they're friends with, what music they listen to, and also like what fashion they're into for almost six years now. So like, I was like, I can definitely make them close. <laughs> like, sure. I, I like, I know everything about them. Like talk about data mining, like run an advice column. <laughs> like <laughs> I was like, you, I know everything about these girls. And so I took that and I was like, oh, I can make a successful brand. And Hot Lava is like, it's awesome. It has like a really cult following. It's in Urban Outfitters. Like it just, it lives its life serving the purpose that, you know, like giving clothes to alt girls in spaces that, you know, they didn't, there weren't clothes like that when I was growing up, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, Before we hop into, into the Hot Lava stuff, I wanted to what what where did the MTV show thing fit oh into God. this story? Like and how did like and what like at what point was like this? why? Why did an MTV show happen? I don't fucking know. I really wish I knew. Okay. Here, I'll give it to you. In I was on Vice. Why was I on Vice? I don't fucking know. Like, like you they did a just, column there, right? Or was it a show? I did a column. No, I did Viceland hosting. Oh, okay. I didn't so think I, that. I was that's okay I was doing juggalo coverage for vice so <laughs> okay. um but I did other stuff too I was doing their like branded content which is essentially like long form commercials so like I'd be like um they would fly me to Lollapalooza to be with Dwayne Wade and Chance the Rapper and I would be with them for a week but the entire time I'd like be carrying around a Bud Light Okay. You know what I mean? And then they'd okay. be getting all this like interview stuff. But then also it was like B-roll of us just hanging out with Bud Light. And I don't know how that works into the Vice. I'm not like, I don't have that, all the knowledge of what that footage was for. But like, I've been, I've been a lot of places for Vice and Bud Light. Um, <laughs> I spent like a, a year or two drinking Bud Lights with Vice. Um, at, and that came through my email. It was like, Rachel you know, like you have a strong voice online, like, would you ever be interested in hosting? And I was like, what's the money? They said it. I said, okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. Vice was really fun to work with in a lot of ways, because they are very protective over their personal brand. So like, they will never have you in a situation where you're going to look stupid or messy or like uneducated. And so for me, it was great, because I could just go on to set and like, everything was flushed out, you know, it was kind of like plug and play They They didn't need me they could put anyone in my spot, you know? Yeah. Um, what I was it like? I mean, I, I added uh, something, but to, to sneak in a first ever question, what was it like being on camera for the first time doing that? Well, okay. Honestly, I didn't love it. I, d- I was so used to having a hundred percent of control over my own voice and like what I wanted to say and do and act like that. 
when someone is scripting you, it it really kind of gave me a lot of anxiety. But because of the Vice brand, I trusted it because I was like, they're probably making me better. <laughs> you know, like they're very smart. So anything that they're going to do, it's going to make me seem more educated or more, you know, like in in a space than I maybe come off. So I had like full trust in that aspect. Also, like Vice lets you be a little wild in a fun way, but it's never like, you know, it's never messy. Sure. Um, I got an email from MTV and they were like, hey, I know we know you're on this Vice thing. What's your contract? Can we buy you out of it? We want you to host what is essentially our reboot of TRL. Um, And I was like, same question. What's the money? (laughs) And so the money was insane. Uh, And I was like, okay, absolutely. You can buy me out of my vice contract, which they took. It was like two more episodes I had anyways. Wasn't a big deal. Um, I was like, vice was really supportive. They're like, you should go. That's an insane amount of money. Like it would be stupid to not take that. So they were like, yeah, you go there. You can come back if it sucks. I was like, okay. So I went to MTV um, and it was me. Mike Wright, who is a comedian in LA, and Lizzo, who's a pop superstar. Right. And originally, it was supposed to be me and Tyler, the creator. Mm -hmm. And Tyler and I were like doing a bunch of meetings on it. And he kind of was like, I don't think he, I remember we were sitting somewhere, we had like gone to lunch and he was like, Rachel, I don't think we should do this. Like, I think there's something wrong with this project. And he was like, He's like, something's up with it. He's like, I don't know what it is, but like, I don't think we should do this. And I was like, Tyler, like, I personally cannot turn down this money. At this point, I was also going through my divorce. So I was like, I was like trying to hoard cash so that I'm stable, you know? Totally, totally. Um, And so, and I have a one-year-old. So I'm just like, you know, I've got, I'm like in that mode. And I'm like, I have to do this. And he's like, I just don't think we should do it. And then lo and behold, Tyler dropped and then I was still like, damn, I, I didn't know what to do because like, obviously I trusted him so much and like his opinion, but I was in a different space. So I ended up going through with signing the contracts with MTV. Um, they, I don't know if you remember this. It was, it, there used to be parties in LA, um, on our set, which is like how insane this project was, but they, they basically like bought out two blocks of downtown LA and they built this insane set of for this live program. And it was supposed to be like all taking place at an underground party. Mm-hmm. But what they did was they hired an actual underground party that happens in LA called ham on everything to come throw a real party while we were filming. But I don't know who didn't think about the fact that like now we have a a, like a a huge liability on set is like we have people who are drunk we and this is not ham on everything's fault by any means they're just djs you know um and they throw events and whatever they're fucking great i love that team so much but like when you say hey come to this free party and there's free booze and then people are going to bring in drugs because you can't check everybody you can't like figure out who's going to fight while you're filming a live show like we couldn't figure out like it was fucking psycho and then yeah then we have talent there like we have huge celebrities like that we're trying to get interviews from and 
It was 13 episodes was for the first season. It was called Wonderland. Um, and it would be things like our audio would drop midstream. So then like, we're all just like doing this interview and then you can't hear it on TV. And because it was live, there was no fixing it. And like that happened for two episodes. And then I remember this other, like Trump had just been elected and they were like, let's get a Trump impersonator to come. And then like, we'll see what happens. And like, they just thought everyone was like going to boo him. Well, the, the crowd beat him up on camera. Like it was in like, which the whole, and I remember just looking at Lizzo, like, are we supposed to run? Like, what are we supposed to do? But like, it was also hard to find help within this mass of, there's thousands of people at this party. And it was like every Thursday show up and fucking party. So it was like, you know, this is now like the sixth episode and every day it's mayhem. It's just complete mayhem. And like, there were times where it was like, you know, I'd get it in my earpiece. I'd be like, Rachel, meet Lizzo in the stairwell. And then I go to the stairwell and there's just like, someone has vomited down it. And I'm like, I have to jump the vomit to get to meet Lizzo to then interview two chains or whoever the fuck was on. I don't remember all the guests, right. but you know what I'm saying? Like we were just like, and I, I would be like looking and there, there were cameras everywhere, but I'd be like looking for like some sort of like producer or something like to make eye contact to be like, go here, do this. And yeah, I could never find anyone. I've actually never told this story before. So you're really getting like a lot. <laughs> that um, is so high stress. And also it was really high oh stress. God. And here's the second piece. And here's the moment where I was like, I literally fucking hate being on TV. And it was, I realized through this project that Vice will protect you because they are protecting their brand because they have to seem like a credible resource for information, for um, unbiased, you know, reporting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. MTV makes money regardless. They have Jersey Shore where their hosts are vomiting on. They're the ones <laughs> vomiting on the stairwell. They totally. make money. They don't give a shit. So I think at that point I realized like, oh, when I was getting these scripts and they would say, steak enters room full of skaters and says, yo, this is fucking rad. I was like, this is something I would never say. <laughs> Maybe I would say this, but like, it's that's not my entry point. Totally. And it was just sort of like this scripted, bizarro land version of myself. And I was trying to give it like my honesty because it's my name attached to it. And it was just coming back in ways that I was like, I don't even want to look at this project. Like it's so bad, but the money was so good. Needless to say, when the show ended, the CEO of MTV was asked to step down because <laughs> this was such a dumpster fire and it was their largest budgeted project. Yeah. Also, I really loved that CEO and he was really nice, but I mean, the whole thing was a clusterfuck. Um, totally. I ended up Sounds getting like out of it. my contract and I left. So yeah, that I've actually never told this story. Like I liked that I had the experience because now I know, I think for a lot of people in LA, not in LA, a lot of people in the world, it's like you get a TV show, like that's the top, right? Like that right. you've got, you've made it. Like that's the fucking thing you should be doing. So of course I went and did it. But when I got there again, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this yeah. is not. And like it, Lizzo and Mike, right? They are made to do like whatever they're like, whoever, whatever strengths they have, 
they can be in that space. You know what I mean? They love that. They are like in there. I'm too anxious of a person. I couldn't do it. And uh, it's and like my other friends who are actors and stuff. It's like they have such a blessing too, because like people know they're playing roles. I just, I couldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because that was your first time really on TV. Lizzo's obviously like a musician who's up on stage all the time. And and she knows what to give and what to hold back to herself. Whereas I was like, I'm just going to give this everything I have. (laughs) Totally. And, and like you're saying, it's like, you're basically being the script given this sort of scripted persona, which isn't you, which is tough to sort of have to put on because you're like, I'm not giving my genuine version of myself. Whereas like the other people who are comedians and, musicians and stuff like that like they can be themselves in other capacities and people will know that for them but like you don't really have that opportunity other than people who I can I can imagine it was it was really psycho and then and then at the end of it it's like I'm looking at it on tv and I'm like I'm watching myself say these lines and like this really amplified bizarro land version of me and then there's my name at the bottom and I'm like totally. well this is everyone thinks this is me now <laughs> like yeah and it was like it wasn't me it just was so it was like a bullion cube of my purse like I was like what up bro like it was just so like (laughs) I mean whoever wrote it I mean I'm sure that personality is needed in the world I just that's not me and maybe I am like a what up bro chick and that's fine like I'll live I that's fine I just can't not that often not six times in one episode (laughs) yeah 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 um so okay so that show ends and then now are you excited to just sort of like dive in fully with hot lava where you're like okay this can be my I did I bent back into hot lava then yeah it's just kind of like I've been cranking on all cylinders and now we have 12 brands we take care of at my company we have I do brand you all- management so if I, yeah, as I say, so if I understand correctly you also are like a screen printing shop as well right Yeah. So I, um, what we did is this is a a, in skateboarding. This is like kind of the business model is there's this parent company and then they have a bunch of offshoots they take care of. So like, it'll be like Baker boys will have like death wish shake giant Baker. And like, you know, they have a few others that they'll, they'll house in and out. Um, not trying to out everybody because of contracts, but like, you know, they have, they have like, they'll take care of other things like with NDAs. Um, But I was like, oh, no one does this in other genres of clothing. So we started doing it um, with a lot of my girlfriends who kind of just had approached me and they were like, they're socialites and they'd be like, oh, I'd like a brand. And but I have no idea how to do that. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And so I started doing that for, you know, in that space in like fashion world. and, And we kind of created like a skate distro for fashion girls you know and like influencers and stuff like that but it what's interesting that has happened is it's actually I'm like fully most of our brands now are streetwear brands like our we have arguably the biggest streetwear brands ever in in our space um and that's that's sort of what we do we have like we 3pl which is like a warehouse we customer service we cut and sew the garments we print screen print we can do it's essentially a one it's like a one-stop shop right that's amazing um is it hard was it ever hard for you to like delegate 
certain things? Like I, I know you have employees and stuff like that, but as someone who is so personally invested in things, as I can tell from this conversation, like did that take you a while to learn how to delegate things? Um, no, because as, as invested as I am, I'm like a bigger picture person. So okay. like I've always been very aware that I will need someone that's focused on smaller, like day to day. Um, I, again, like I'm, com- I'm very like community, like I like that's, I need help and I'm not afraid of asking for it. Um, so no, it actually, it wasn't that hard for me to go like, Hey, I need this. I, I will say what was hard is remembering what I can still do because there was at one point where I overhired and I was like, I okay, know. well we need, I basically was like, what is my job? And then I like divided it up into six. And I was like, these are the six things that I'm doing that are careers. I'm going to hire six employees, but I didn't need six employees. I needed three sure. and I could still do the other three. And I think that if there's any like piece of business advice that I would ever give, it'd just be to remember that because you don't need to, because if you're spending all of your income on basically fractioning out a job that you could do as a small business, like that's not really the move. That could be a medium business move, but that's not a small business move. That makes that and, makes total sense. Yeah. And I think it just keeps you engaged. So uh, the last thing we'll jump to here is uh, is this book that you have that is about to, that is, is out now? Is out? Or? No, September, um, September 18th at the MoCA. Which is okay. crazy. The fucking Museum of Contemporary Art is like letting me in there. I'm like, what is going on? That's incredible. <laughs> but yeah, it's I feel insane about it. Um, I also like again, like I wrote this book about my childhood and growing up and all like the bizarro shit that has happened over time. Um, and you know, it, I really could have been influenced. Like I could have gotten a shiny pink cover. And it would have gone, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it would have like, it would have been like blogger writes book, you know? And so the fact that Mocha hit me up and they were like, we would love to host your book launch. Like, you know, and they've been so supportive. I feel really just fucking good that, you know what I mean? Like the people that I respect are kind of like helping me along in this process and like allowing me to be in a community that I feel grateful to be in. How long, um, how long did this, uh, did this book take you to actually write? Was it something that you pieced together over time? Was it, what's the story there? Well, I, I started writing it in 2012. Oh, wow. Um, and I wrote probably the first eight chapters in 2012, but I think I got to a point where I realized like I couldn't finish the book because I didn't even know where I was going. So like where, what was like, if I had ended the book in 2012, but a completely different book. Right. So it's like, but I'm now finally at a point in my life where, and you know, it doesn't, the, it comes out on September 18th, but you know, it doesn't end this year, you know, it ends probably about five years ago or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, like, I needed to get to a point where I actually could reflect back where I wasn't in the fire and all the turbulence of everything. And like, I, so I'm five years sober. Um, And I think that was like a big thing too, was like, just, I had to clear all this bullshit off my plate. I had to go through therapy. I had to do like intensive trauma therapy shit. I had to go through all this stuff. And it wasn't until then that I was like, oh, I see my story now, you know, like Mm. I can see and tell this in a way that's not just like, 
okay, in the end, we're all drowning. <laughs> like, bye. <laughs> you know, this fucking totally. chaos. Like, now it actually, it, like, I can leave it in a way. And it's very much, I'm not finished. Like, I'm not finishing my life. I'm young, you know. I've got a lot of sure. shit to do. Yeah. But I, it definitely, but- like, you, at the end of the book, like, you feel, it feels like a full storyline. You feel complete. It took you a while to, like, find the arc is what you're basically saying find the arc yeah because i mean you said it it's like you're like oh you've done like all this like you have your hand in like seven things it's like what is this like who is this person and like a lot of the things we talked about are not in the book you know it's like because there are the book is really focused on the fact that it starts in south florida um in the everglades and uh i was abandoned at age 11 in a vacation rental that I was squatting in with my mom. Um, and she had gone to go get help for her mental illness and addiction. And in that she thought the best thing to do was to board me up inside of this vacation home and wait for her. But it ended up taking my mom a very, very long time. Um, and I ended up going into foster care because I got reported for staying in this home. And um, uh, so, yeah, it kind of just like starts there. And and then, yeah, it kind of follows follows what it's like to be not just a woman, but like a young girl who has had. Well, I was just like up until 11, I was also raised by a mother who was deeply mentally ill. She had. paranoid delusions so like I thought things about the world that just were not true you know like I thought a lot of people were trying to get us all the time and things like that and so not just like a a a small human who has had no guidance kind of just then being thrust into the skate park and boys homes and this and that and tour and all these things but I've only worked in male dominated industries. Like I had no connection with what it was like to be a human, a woman or any sort of scope of anything in these spaces. Because when you don't have guidance from the people around you, you really do leave it up to the world to educate you. And the world is not a safe place for anybody. (laughs) And so, and like you can, and so it really just kind of follows that storyline and it talks when I wrote it I was like damn people are gonna fucking hate me (laughs) um but because like I am like I think a lot of times in the book I am the I am the um I'm the bad one in the book (laughs) you know Mm. I like I, I feel like there are times where you're not rooting for me because I'm making mistakes and But I mean, that's honestly how it was. Like, I didn't know anything. I did not know better. So I was yeah. like, who who could blame you in those situations? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're you're basically you're legitimately fighting for your life in a lot of situations. And you're just like dumb. Like, I was so stupid. Like, I was very street smart and like survival and stuff like that. But as far as like what my impact was to myself and to the people around me, I had no idea, you know, and like, it's like. I think that kind of goes back to like what I was talking about, like being on tour, like you kind of just lose this sense of like self and responsibility, but it's like, I don't even know if I ever had it, you know? So true. And like, it feels good to be responsible to the people around you. Like it feels good to be a good friend. And like, I know that I know that now, like I know that now as an adult, but I did not know that for 90% of my life until five years ago, you know? So, um, it's, it just talks about that. 
Yeah, you're there's a there's a lot of coping mechanisms that you were uh, that you had already built in when you would become someone who tours. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Especially almost. someone who tours with no band. <laughs> well, uh, shit. I feel like I can hit you with the last question if that's cool with you. I'm ready. Let's do it. Uh, when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Okay. Right after the MTV show ended. And I was, I had called a few friends and I was like, you guys, I thought it was going to be like a weird moment where they were going to be like, damn, that fucking sucks. They were like, I was like, you guys, the show's over or I le- I'm leaving the show and I do, like, I feel really crazy about it. It was like total chaos, et cetera. And they just told me, they were like, well, that's actually really great because now you can focus on what you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> which I which I at the time was like what the fuck are you trying to say but really it gave me this moment of perspective where this whole time I thought I was going through these means of success but my close people were actually like wow Rachel's doing way too much so when I was able to cut that shit out and dive back into when I think about my trajectory and my history like my forward and backwards, it's like, oh, I want to make brands. Like that is what I'm happy doing. Like that is what I can see from a seed all the way to a full grown tree. Like I can see that whole process from one idea. And like that makes me happy. And so it was really that moment. It was that phone call. And the next day I went in back into my office and I hadn't been in my office for probably six weeks because I'd been on set filming and all my staff like lit up and I just remember sitting down in the chair and I opened my laptop and it was kind of just like all right well here it fucking goes and like I'd never looked back oh that's awesome yeah Yeah. it was it was uh, I like the day I remember even like the weather of the day of going into my (laughs) office like I remember the whole thing where I was just like damn like like very much so what's that like bright eye song like this is the first day of your life right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it really it felt like that moment to me I was like okay like let's what we trimmed all the fat like I had been through like war at that point and I'm like I'm just I'm here I'm like plugging in my laptop and I'm gonna fucking do this I'm gonna make some graphics <laughs> yeah oh I, I mean I can yeah, it's uh, I'm sure it was just like a wave of calm at the same time. It was. Like, this is this is exactly what I should be doing. And I don't need to do all the other stuff. And, you know, if there's a silver, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of parts of the MTV experience that um, were great learning lessons and, and all of that. Yeah. But like, it, I'm sure it did also help build your personal brand. You know, what I'm saying like people knew, who you know, people who wouldn't have found your blog found you through the show. And then that made you get people to follow you on stuff. And I think too, and I think too, it was also just like, like, I like the story of what happened. You know what I mean? Like, I like it because I think that there are probably more people out there like me that would go into that situation thinking it was going to be life changing. And like, this is going to bring me the stability I've been craving and like the success that I think I'm supposed to have and really just get spanked by the, by the industry and like the world and the way it really is and go like, wow, I'm way too anxious to watch myself talk on camera and things like, and not have control over my own output and things like that. And I think there are way more people like me, even if, even if they're never given the chance to know that. Um, and I think that that 
that helps me connect to the people that I want to connect to. Amazing. Thanks for hanging out with me today. This was great. Yeah, Seriously, this is awesome. It. I'm having a great time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Yep. See you later. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Rachel for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now where Rachel answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon and subscribe for as little as $3 a month to get access to that. And hey, if you enjoyed this also, uh, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this. Leaving a positive rating and review helps oh so much and uh, it would just mean the world. I will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.